And uh, let's turn to, to Job chapter 9 as we return to the book of Job. By the way, tonight is Jordan's, and not tonight, the whole day, is Jordan's and Tanya's birthday. So they have twin birthdays. Uh, so remember to say happy birthday to, to them. I think... Uh, Are they both 21? Uh, yeah, Jordan is fully legal tonight, today, right? Yeah. Can go to big jail too, so yeah. <laughs> remember that. <laughs> yeah, remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, Job chapter 9. We're going to take a look at tonight at the truth that it is hard to argue against God. Have you ever found yourself arguing against God? Well, he tends to win every argument. Uh, and we're going to see that with Job tonight. I'm going to read verses 25 through 35 of chapter 9. Uh, but we're going to attempt to take a look at the whole chapter. So starting at verse 25 of chapter 9. This is the word of our Lord. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships. Like an eagle swooping on its prey. If I say I'll forget my complaint, I'll put off my sad face and wear a smile. I'm afraid of all my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. If I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. When you hear the word litigation, what kind of feelings does it bring to you? When you, the word litigation or lawsuit, what kind of a feelings does it bring in your heart? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been threatened with litigation? Has anybody ever said, I will sue you? And uh, when, does that make you feel good feelings or bad feelings? How does that make you, you feel there? Uh, the, the word litigation has a negative connotation for most people except for lawyers. People tend not to like the idea of, of litigation. It's not a pleasant thing, particularly in, in an adversarial legal system like ours, where in litigation for somebody to win, somebody else has to lose. Uh, there are no... At the end of the day, in our legal system, civil legal system, there's really no winners at the end. Everybody loses something in litigation. Uh, and I think it seems like everybody, at one level or another, lives afraid of being sued. Uh, a lot of things that we do is of, out of fear that somebody somewhere might bring a lawsuit against us. And one of the reasons that litigation is so unpleasant is that, is that someone is formally accusing us of having done something wrong. Every lawsuit is an, uh, is an accusation against somebody. Whether it's real or not, it is an accusation against somebody, and that's not a pleasant thing. Well, as the book of Job unfolds, 
Job decides to bring a suit against God. Job decides to sue God. It is as his desire. And he does that implying that God has done something wrong. He's changing his tune as the book goes on, Job is. He went from, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, to by the time we get to chapter 9, he is convinced that God has done something wrong, and that if he can take God to court, he can prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is being unjust toward him. So, tonight, we are going to explore Job's attitude in bringing suit against God, and then Job's legal analysis of his situation to see uh, of, of, of his chance of prevailing against God. So those are the two things we're going to take a look at. That. Now, we are very good at reading the Old Testament or reading the Bible and uh, immediately judging the people that we read about. How, how could they do that? Uh, uh, they just saw God acting, and now they are wanting to go back to Egypt. And, oh, Job, come on, Job, how can you be wanting to bring a lawsuit against God? But before we criticize Job for his audacity to even contemplate bringing a charge against God Almighty, remember where Job is. Consider his perspective at this point in the book. What is it that he doesn't know that we do? God's confidence is him. What else? God's in control of the situation. God's in control of the situation. Well, he seems to know that, right? Because he's blaming God for what's going on. God's problem. What, what else? Huh? That is a test. That's a test. So that's the thing. He, he, had the, he doesn't have chapters 1 and 2 in front of him. He, that's the thing he doesn't know. Right now, he just thinks that's God doing whatever it is for un, unjust uh, matters. He thinks that's God punishing him. All he knows at this point is this. He has not sinned against God. He's, he's convinced of that. He has done the right things. And, and up to chapter 4, and so the, the, the book itself says that. God says that he's been doing the right thing. He also has lost everything and everyone. Right? That, that's where he is. We're still very close to those things happening. The whole book is happening in the context of his having lost everything and everyone. And what he knows is that God has remained utterly silent in this whole situation. He has not answered God's, uh, Job's cry. Uh, he has not come to Job's defense. He's been completely absent, as Job sees it, from the situation. That's where Job is. And it's also important for us to realize that Job is a lot like his three comforters. There are many ways that they are like his three comforters. What is the main thing that his comforters are saying to him? And let's use the word comforter very lightly here. What is it that his three counselors are saying? What's, it, what's their main premise? You've not done something wrong, yes. Because only the wicked suffer... The righteous always are blessed. Remember how we call that theology? Well, that's a good way to call it today. That's how it's called today. But it's the idea of retribution, retribution theology. That if you're good, you get good. If you're wicked, you get bad. To use very good English uh, here as well. 
And Job believes that. That's really why he can't understand why the things are going on, because he's been so good in his mind. And why is it that bad things are happen to him? Job, so Job knew that he had not sinned in a manner that would justify the level of suffering he was experiencing. So he had to believe that God was breaking the rules of retribution theology. They believe that God acted a certain way, and he's not acting that way towards Job. Therefore, God is being unjust. How dare God bring suffering to the life of the righteous? Really, that's the argument that Job has toward God. And then Job's bad attitude leads him to mischaracterize the malign God. Look at what he says in verses 22 through 24. It is all one thing, therefore I say, he destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who else could it be? What is Job saying about God's character here? What is he saying that that God does? All right, yes. What else? That he enjoys it? Yes. What else? He does not listen to the plight of the innocent? That he laughs at the plight of the innocent? That he covers the faces of the judges so that they cannot act toward iniquity or wickedness? And the, the, the claim that uh, the accusation Job is making is that God is unjust. That's really what he's saying about God. God is unjust. Now, much like the Psalms, the book of Job allows us to see the first person experience of a, a true saint. Right? Job is a true believer in the Messiah. We have a glimpse of that in the book book itself. And in the New Testament, he is referred to as somebody that we should imitate, especially in the book of James, where we're supposed to have the same patience as Job had. But here we have a first person, uh, opportunity to see the first person experience of a true saint who is wrestling with real life and speaking honestly regarding his feelings toward God, even though... He is not humbly and accurately representing God. Job doubts, at least momentarily, God's justice and goodness. While this is not commendable, I don't want us to doubt that, I don't want us to do that, it is something that many believers experience in the midst of great suffering. Is that fair to say? Not that that you would do, but you know somebody. Right? You know somebody who, in the midst of suffering, of great trial, has doubted God's justice, God's goodness, God's mercy. And we can relate to Job. Job's bad attitude can actually be understood as an act only possible for the faithful. One who doesn't believe in God would, wouldn't be arguing with God. You just leave God behind and go his merry way. The fact that God, that even though he's engaging wrongly, the fact that he's engaging God is showing that he believes in that God. And that, so he is doing something that is only possible for the faithful. 
And remember that everything in the Bible is written for our benefit. Paul says that twice in the New Testament, verse in 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 15, for our admonition, for our learning. And we can see ourselves in Job that even though even those moments of struggle, we are struggling as the faithful, not as the unbeliever. Uh, the Reformed Doctrine of Providence reminds us that God, while not the author of sin, is ultimately in charge of everything. Everything that happens, happens because God has actively purposed it to happen. In our larger catechism, question 18, the catechism asks, what, is, what are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all His creatures, ordering them and all their actions to His own glory. And even in his struggle, Job was declaring that God was in charge of whatever comes to pass. And and that's why he's engaging God, because he knows that God is in charge. He knows that what's coming is coming from God. The problem is that he has mischaracterized God. He's okay with the idea that God is in charge and that he's doing all things, but he is seeing God as unjust. The doctrine of providence, the doctrine that God is all is going to of all things, is only a comforting doctrine because we know that God is good. Even though we may not understand what's going on, the comfort is that God, the, the God who sent that thing to us is a good God. And that He promises to be working through that in our lives to become more like Jesus Christ. Job didn't get that. Now, he had his, his attitude was wrong and his accusations against God were false in many ways. But Job never lost his faith and he rightly understood that God is sovereign over all things. Now, his mistaken perception of God was being shaped by his experience, but his heart was still the heart of a believer. So the, and why am I repeating that? Because we find ourselves... In these experiences, and all of a sudden we doubt, am I really a child of God? How can I be doubting these things? How can I be even having these thoughts in my mind? Well, Job did as a follower of the Messiah here. And Job is really thinking about bringing a suit against God, a lawsuit against God. And to do that, he needed to gain jurisdiction over God. And that's really the only way that a suit can be brought is if the court has jurisdiction. If the court doesn't have jurisdiction over the particular person or the particular case, you can't bring a lawsuit. And so Job realizes that and says, how am I going to gain jurisdiction over God so I can sue him for being unjust toward me? And really what Job wanted is to be proven right. That He wanted to prove that he has an airtight argument against God. The problem is this. Although many people put God on trial in their minds... No one has ever acquired true jurisdiction over God and put him on trial because God is not subject to the jurisdiction of his creatures. The fact that God is holy means it is other than creation. Creation does not have jurisdiction over him to sue him. And Job quickly and rightly comes to the conclusion that it is simply impossible for a creature to summon the Creator. Into a, law, into a court of law. Look at verse 16. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. 
Does anybody have the ESV that they can read loud and clear? Go ahead, Jim Wesson. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. All right, so what's Job saying? You know, okay, I realize that if I summon God and somebody listened, if somebody answered to my summoning, I couldn't believe that that's God. Because there's no way that God is going to listen to respond to the summon, summoning of one of his creatures to go to court. Because none of his creatures have jurisdiction over him to sue him in the court of law, to, to bring God to, to, um, to a lawsuit, to bring to a lawsuit against God. I've never read the book, so I'm not sure exactly what the content. I've read parts of it, just one essay. But C.S. Lewis has a book called God in the Dock. Right? Isn't that the name of the book? For years, I thought that there was a book about fishing with God, and I was sitting at the dock. The prepositions always confused me in my English journey. But it's the, uh, I think the premise is that people put the God... Anybody read the book? <laughs> Nobody has read Is that the premise, that people are... Collection says, yeah. But the idea of God being in the dock is the idea that God is being tried. And yet nobody has jurisdiction to try God. He is the judge of the universe. No one can bring that. And Job was infinitely mismatched in his legal efforts. Uh, we all like uh, the Aaron Bar- uh, what's the name? Aaron Barkovich. Right, the the little firm winning the big lawsuit against the big law firms, and we celebrate that. And do you know why we know them? You know, do you know, do you know why we know these law, law, these, these cases? Because there's so, so few of them. Because usually the big law firm wins it. And here we have Job trying to prosecute God, and his legal efforts are infinitely mismatched. If you look at that verses one through thirteen. And just scan them. You, on the first glance, they appear like Job is praising God for his greatness. But really, they are Job's reciting and lamenting the reasons why he has no chance of prevailing in his desire to litigate. You read the verses, and, and, and he's talking about the, how God is wise, how he's big, how he stands in the pillars of the earth, and so on. And it sounds like a praise to God, but he all, all he's saying is that, my efforts are doomed from the very beginning. How am I going to prevail against this being who is the creator of everything? And we see Job's sense of frustration over his dim legal prospects emerge in a direct, express, dramatic way in verses 14 through 19. Look at them, 14 through 19. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would, be, I, would, I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. It is, it, it is a matter of strength. Indeed, he is strong. And if of justice, who will appoint my day in court? Even though he had this fleeting idea of, of suing God, he realizes, what's the, the, what would that do? There's just frustration in that. So we find Job really frustrated, not knowing what to do. He's convinced that God is unjust, and he thinks there's no remedy. 
Now, Job understood well that he had no chance of prevailing in his desire to litigate with God. And he feels like there's no hope for him. There's nothing that can be done till he realizes that what he really needs is a mediator between him and God. That he can't come before God, but there might be another that can come before God. After Job, Job I keep on saying Job, after Job re- recognizes he has no opportunity to prevail in lawsuit with God, he turns to another solution. That solution is, I need to find a mediator. Now, at the end of the day, Job expresses the pain of feeling at odds with God. And he desires not really revenge against God, rather he desires reconciliation with Him. He wants to be on the same page with God. He wants to have fellowship with God. And he comes to the conclusion that the only way to achieve that peace is not by bringing a lawsuit against God, but by finding a mediator who can bring reconciliation between him and God. Look at verse 32. For he's not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. See that in verses 34 and 35, that he's, he's longing for reconciliation with God. But in verse 32 and 33 says, but there is not a mediator. Yet when you get to chapter 19, it seems to all of a sudden realize that there is a mediator, and that is the Redeemer. Remember the, the famous resurrection passage in chapter 19? That though, though my, my body be corrupted, I, in my flesh I'll see, so see the Lord, and use that language of, of Redeemer and kinsman Redeemer, and so on there. And he's looking forward to that Messiah, to the Lord Jesus Christ, because in Christ we have a mediator, one who, has, who makes intercession for us with the Father, and who not only removed God's rod from us, remember that's what Job wants to happen here, but was stricken with that rod in our place. When we find ourselves in this place where Job is, we run to the mediator. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Job is wondering, I need a mediator. Where is the mediator? I want to be reconciled to God. Who can do that? We say Jesus. He is a mediator. And we can meet him even in the midst of our frustrations and struggles and trials and be reconciled to God even there. Now, it is true, though, that the reality of Jesus and his suffering for us, that reality doesn't answer all our questions regarding why we endure suffering. But it graphically and powerfully illustrates to us that suffering has a purpose. Are you with me? And that purpose is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. It also displays for us how far God has gone in His unbounded love to reconcile His people to Himself. Job could not find a mediator. So God Himself provided a mediator, and His name is Jesus. In Him, we found our hope 
in our salvation, even in time of distress. We don't have to come up with a mediator of our own. God has provided that one in Jesus Christ. And though we may not have all the answers why we suffer, why things are going backwards, why we're struggling, we do know that those things are happening so that we can become more like that mediator, mediator that God provided for us. And we're being shaped, disciplined, trained to be more like Jesus Christ. That's what we learn from Job here in chapter 9. That we can't sue God. We don't have jurisdiction over God. But we can be reconciled with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Any questions or comments? All right. So that's great. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for providing us the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would run to Him in times of rejoicing, in times of weeping, in times of frustration, in times of blessings. We pray that He would be our light and our refuge. We pray that He would be a strong tower. We thank You that we are reconciled to You because of Him. And because of Him, there's no more condemnation toward us. Father, the, the enemy is still an accuser, and he accuses us. We pray that we would not listen to these accusations, but would know that all these accusations, all our sins, the guilt of our sins is buried in the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have accepted his sacrifice by raising him from the dead. And we thank you that he reigns over us today, blessing your church and, and shaping us by your spirit to be more like him. Help us to rejoice in that and to be content with that. We pray to dismiss us tonight with your blessings for asking in Jesus' name. Amen. There's cupcakes. Wow. <laughs>